just to follow up, Dr. Davila, would you consider reinstituting mask mandates now, given the severity of uh, concern around childhood respiratory illness? A troubling ask at Toronto's City Hall. What our top doctor is saying tonight about the rise in respiratory illnesses in youth and the potential for the return of a mask mandate. Good evening. If you still have masks in your household, it might be a good idea to keep them handy. Concerns of an increase in COVID-19 cases, as well as a spike of flu and RSV in kids, has the city tonight pondering another mask mandate starting in our schools. CTV's Allison Hurst has been following this developing story today and joins us now live. Allison, what are you hearing about this? Nathan, we were here as school let out and we started talking to parents right then, asking them what they thought about a ma mask mandate. And they were really mixed. Some saying there's no way they want to return to that, but others say they never stop sending their kids to school with masks on. Victor Day sends his kids to school in masks every day. Look at the healthcare system, look at the hospitals, they're stuffed, there's nowhere for kids to be. That concern has prompted a motion from one of Toronto's public health board members, asking the city's top doctor to urgently consider a mask mandate starting with local schools. We need a multi-layer strategy and we can't let up on the very simple things like masking and ventilation that need to go alongside vaccination. Board member Kate Mulligan brought the motion to the meeting after a scary trip to the hospital with her own child. We had to rush her into the local emergency room and we went straight to the resuscitation room uh, and people came running to help support her when she, she really couldn't breathe. It was, it was really scary as a parent. The city's top doctor remained non-committal on a mask mandate. So at this point in time, we're uh, suggesting continued adherence to provincial guidance, but uh, as we have seen over the course of the past several years, uh, this virus has thrown some curveballs our way and we have to be prepared to respond in accordance with that. Parents are mixed on the idea. Of course, if necessary, for sure, 100%. It would help, help our health care system and help the health of our children. Absolutely not. I think it's cruel and unusual punishment, and my children won't do it. I do believe that it should be more of a personal choice. Um, so I don't know how I feel about the mandate itself, but I, I do support that, you know, if people want to be able to wear them, they should be able to wear them. Mulligan says leaving it up to the province isn't the right answer, that Toronto's local needs may be different from other municipalities. We need more information to make good decisions as parents, and we're feeling in the dark. The board isn't supposed to meet until the new year, but Mulligan hopes that she hears back on a decision before then. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Allison. A fierce election fight is taking place south of the border. Tonight, a crucial midterm race for control of Congress. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll take you live to Georgia, one of the key battleground states that's still ahead on CTV News Toronto at 6. Students made a return to classrooms today after a brief hiatus. Thousands of kids were back at school after the province and its education workers ended their two-day stalemate. Each side has agreed to return to the bargaining table, but there is still a ways to go before a deal can be struck. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us tonight with the latest. Siobhan. Well, Michelle, if there's anything positive, the parents can hang on to at this moment. It's that both sides are still talking and they've been negotiating all day. But we know that both sides are going to have to meet in the middle after being fairly entrenched in this position, in their positions. We heard from the premier today about where he's willing to budge. For the first time since Thursday, negotiators from the government and CUPE are speaking again, linked by a mediator. The goal is to land on a negotiated deal. 
Well, things are slow, uh, I understand, but they, they are going. I understand a pass has gone back and forth. It means a new proposal from the government. As the day began, the premier was again trying to strike a conciliatory tone. I don't want to fight. I just want the kids in school. Um, that, that's what I want to do. Doug Ford won't say exactly what's in this newest pitch, but... We're back at the table with an improved offer, particularly for the lower-income workers. After weeks of increasing tension, there's optimism at the prospect of shaking on a tentative deal that keeps 55,000 education workers from returning to picket lines. A deal we always wanted to achieve on a voluntary basis that protects the in-person learning experience, uh, but also, as the Premier noted, increases those wages to the lowest paid workers within our schools. The government has promised to rescind the bill that forced a contract on education workers. CUPE's national president says it's meant a noticeable change at the bargaining table. There is a different level of tone, a, a, a more of a power balance, I think, than there was last week. We're not fighting this legislation anymore. It'll be gone. So now we can actually get down to work and come up with a deal that works for everybody. There is some lingering mistrust of the government from CUPE leadership, but Hancock says the union can live with the plan to start to dismantle the bill Monday. The opposition at Queen's Park wants the premier to hit the accelerator. Call a meeting at midnight, he can call it five in the morning. We're ready to sit down, repeal this bill. We understand this kind of bill is very short. So legislators could put this chapter in the rear view quickly. The premier and education minister talked over and over again today about giving more to the lowest paid workers. But QP says tonight that it won't accept a two-tier wage increase. They're calling for a flat rate boost. Reporting live, I'm Siobhan Morris. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. Not at the table tonight, the union representing GO Bus workers and Metrolink. Service has been suspended since Monday after talks between the two sides broke down, leaving thousands of GTA commuters looking for another mode of transportation. Our Austin Delaney has been following this story for us from the start and joins us once again. Austin. Well, some breaking news as we come on the air tonight. After two days of strikes, the two sides have decided to go back to the negotiating table. It won't happen until Friday. That means the strike, the pickets stay up, and the buses stay parked. Are we being respected? No! At the Willowbrook Rail Maintenance Facility in Etobicoke, the international head of the Amalgamated Transit Union flying in from Washington to lend support. When they say you're heroes, when you risked your lives for two and a half, three years, you're heroes, but then they go to the table and they want to contract out your work and they want you to agree with it. The main issue, contracting out jobs for the 2,200 GO bus drivers, station attendants and maintenance workers who walked off the job Monday. We're having a moment in this country. We're having a struggle in this country for working class values to be protected and respected. This is fundamentally this is about respect. This is about a government that is sitting on billions of dollars of surplus while they're trying to contract out your work. The GO strikers receive support from the Ontario Federation of Labour and CUPE. Who's got the power? We got the power. Fresh off what the union calls a win against the Ford government and its use of the notwithstanding clause to impose a contract on school support workers. And what we've seen over the last few days was the labor movement coming together. Progressive folks all across yes. Ontario yes. coming together. Yes. And even a whole bunch of people that don't even like unions were on our side yes. for a chance. Yes. 
The Amalgamated Transit Union called off talk Sunday, but hopes to get back to the table soon. The impression I got yesterday was that both sides say you're close. Yeah, listen, uh, those at the contract table have told me that they're not that far apart. We just need to solidify that contracting out language and we can make this happen. In the meantime, GoBus riders are being told to find alternative transportation, including Go Trains. So the two sides deciding today they will go back to the bargaining table. That will happen on Friday. In the meantime, the pickets stay up, the buses stay parked. Morning Live, I'm Austin Delaney. Nathan? All right, thank you, Austin. Here's a live look at the city and the end of a chilly Tuesday. Temperatures definitely dropping, but the sun stuck with us throughout the day. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Nathan, we did not even make it into double-digit territory today. Nine degrees for the high in Toronto. Look at this. It's chilly right now. Two degrees in Oshawa and Waterloo. Zero in Innisfil. It's currently minus one in Muskoka. We have winds that are coming out of the northeast at this time. It's not the strength of the winds, but the direction that's contributing to how cool it feels out there. Not much to show you on the satellite and radar. We're looking at a clear night, but that will increase our risk of frost. One degree is our forecast low here in Toronto. We are yet to fall below the freezing mark in the city. I'm expecting that to change a little bit later this week. We'll talk about our more winter-like long-range forecast coming up. For now, though, Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. The political landscape of the United States could look very different this time tomorrow. The final votes are being cast in the midterm election. It is a battle for control of Congress in a nation struggling with rampant inflation and economic hardship. CTV's Washington Bureau uh, Chief Joy Malvin reports. Casting their ballots, millions of voters in America are finally having their say and everything, it seems, is on the line. I think because of the way the whole economy has gone over the past two years, it's really, it's insane that the gas prices and food costs. From the economy to rights, and there's real fear about the future of democracy in this deeply polarized country. I mean, there's so many... Uh, so many conspiracy theorists who are trying to figure out ways to overturn the will of the people. You know, we have to have everybody come out and vote. Control of Congress is up for grabs that could determine the rest of President Joe Biden's agenda. Legislation to protect abortion rights, the climate, even financial assistance to Ukraine. And Democrats are bracing for disappointment. I think we'll win the Senate. I think the House is tougher. In a preview of a possible 2024 rematch, former President Donald Trump couldn't help himself. Ever the showman making the moves to run for president again. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. Casting his ballot in Florida, Trump has backed election deniers running for office. The question is, will they accept the results of this election if they don't like the results? Tensions across America couldn't be higher. The nation is polarized, angry. Uh growing number of people in our society just don't trust government. Republicans are betting their message on inflation and crime matters more to voters. They need just five seats to win back the House and flip just one in the battle for the Senate. A handful of those races in Georgia, Philadelphia and Nevada are incredibly tight. The White House is already warning results may not be known for days. And to make sure everything goes safely and smoothly, the Justice Department will monitor polls in half the country. Joy Melvin, CTV News, Washington. People in the GTA are also watching this election closely. Our Janice Golding's been speaking with some of them 
and joins us now. Janice. Hi, Nathan. Yes, it is Election Day in the United States with voters flocking to the ballot boxes to have their say. And that includes Americans living here in Canada. Are you ready to win this election? They can bring all they want to bring. They don't know they mess with their own Georgia here. Voting is underway in the U.S. midterm elections, with millions of Americans having already cast ballots and millions more set to vote in person before polls close later today. Do you know what day today is in the United States? No. It's election day. Do you care? I don't live in the United States, not really. <laughs> but ask the average Torontonian, and it's certainly not top of mind. Did you know the midterm elections, the U.S. midterm elections were today? Oh, re really? We don't know anything. Do you care about the results of the American election? Why we should care? I guess I should care because it affects the rest of us, but not really. Still, if you talk to political scientists like U of T's professor Renan Levine... Whether Canadians like it or not, there's a lot at stake for Canadians in these elections. The fate of the entire House of Representatives will be decided, as will one-third of the U.S. Senate. Voters will also elect governors in most states, all of which could have an impact. That could be Canadians and how much taxes they pay when they go to Arizona or Florida for the summer. Uh, that could be um, the amount of sales tax they pay when they cross the border to do shopping. And, of course, it could affect how goods that we buy here in Canada cost. Meanwhile, there are six and a half million Americans living abroad, 500,000 right here in Canada. So we're a massive potential block of voters um, who make our voices heard in our home states. Over half of us vote in battleground states, states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona. And given how close the Senate race is this year, Diana English of Democrats Abroad Canada says votes cast here will be felt across the border. It's anybody's game. And at this point in our election cycle, that's actually quite remarkable. Usually the party that takes the White House um, struggles a bit in the, in the following midterms. And what we're seeing is that it's a dead heat. Currently, both the Senate and House of Representatives are under Democratic control. As it stands, election forecasters are predicting that the Republicans will win back the House of Representatives and have a slight lead to regain the Senate. Reporting live, Janice Golding, now back to Michelle. Thank you, Janice. Back below the border we go now as we continue our coverage of Election Day in America. CTV's Richard Madden is in one of the key states tonight, Georgia, a place that could deliver a balance of power for either party. Richard, tell us where you are. Break down the race for us there tonight. Why is it so important? Yeah, Georgia's a big deal. It used to be this deep, red, reliable state, but things have changed. Obviously, the population has become more diverse, uh, and uh, Democrats really shot to power here in 2020 in the last Congress, delivering Democrats that razor-thin majority. But this is two years later. You've got a Democratic president, and it's a whole new ballgame. One of the We are here, uh, Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, is seeking a second term. He's expected to cruise to victory, but the more consequential race is what's happening on the Senate side. You've got a former pro football player, versus a reverend battling it out for that key Senate seat that could tilt the balance of power in the Senate. Herschel Walker, handpicked by Donald Trump, is running in a very tight race against the incumbent Democrat, uh, Ralphiel Warnock. Uh, we're keeping an eye on that race very closely, but clearly tonight the balance of power could really run through Georgia because whoever wins here could could be the could provide the, the party uh, could provide the power uh, in the Senate. So a lot at stake here in the Peach State. What's your sense of the mood there and what has voter turnout been like today? 
Oh, voter turnout has been through the roof. Georgia voters have voted early more than two and a half million. That is an all-time record, and it suggests enthusiasm is high, uh, and voters are taking their role very seriously. You know, you have to step back a little bit and think about the arguments from both parties. Democrats went into this midterm elections really hammering home the Supreme Court, overturning Roe v. Wade. They vowed to make that the centerpiece of their campaign, protecting women's rights, protecting democracy from election deniers. Republicans, on the other hand, have really been hammering home the economy, the rising inflation, the economic anxiety, talk of a potential recession. Uh, and it appears, according to polls anyways, that voters are making the inflation, the economic conditions top of mind, especially according to tonight's exit polls. And the polls suggest that voters feel the Republicans are best poised to fix it. So at the end of the day, we've heard the campaigning, we've heard the messaging, and tonight it's down to the voters. So we'll have to hear, we'll have to see what the results are. But I expect it's going to be a very close race, at least on the Senate side here in Georgia. CTV's Richard Madden live for us in Atlanta tonight. Thank you. You bet. And stay up to date on this race throughout the evening. Get the latest information on our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And don't forget to tune in again tonight for CTV News Toronto at 1130. Happening this hour, emergency crews are on the scene of a house fire in Scarborough. This is the view, view from our chopper. Now, the fire broke out during the mid-afternoon near Port Union Road and the 401. Officials say they believe it may have started in the attic, but they're still investigating. No word on injuries at this time. And our chopper also caught this blaze in the east end of the city. A commercial fire near Kingston and Lawrence involving a car at the back of a dealership. Plenty of billowing smoke, but the fire was put out quickly. No injuries were reported and no need for homes in the area to be evacuated. Peel Police have launched Crime Prevention Week with a focus on community. The theme not only stresses the obligation of police professionals to respond to crime when it happens, but also to look at a holistic upstream approach with our community partners, as I just said, to prevent crime and those criminal activities that victimize our community. Collaboration and trust are the core tenets of it to make sure that we have safe and vibrant communities here together. This year's theme is Safer, Stronger, Together, among the initiatives trying to prevent crimes before they happen through improving relationships with members of the community. The two-day meeting between provincial health care ministers and their federal counterparts has now wrapped up with no progress made on securing more federal transfer money. They made the decision to not participate here today, and that's disappointing, but I don't think it's the most important thing. I think and I believe there's going to be a, a deal on the Canada Health Transfer. And there's going to be a deal because we have every jurisdiction in the country, all 13, coming together to, to make fundamental and important and long-term investments in public health care, investments that will require the support of the federal government um, for us to be successful over a long period of time. The federal government withdrew from a joint communique with provincial and territorial health ministers. It ends the meetings in Vancouver without any agreement to boost health care funding. The ministers were united behind a request for federal funding to be increased to 35 percent, up from 22 percent. The OPP official in charge of clearing the February blockade at the Ambassador Bridge testified at the Emergencies Act inquiry today. We looked for different options in regards to enforcement. I, I do know that um, I had conversations with Windsor about their bylaws. There was a number of different parking bylaws um, in that area. So we learned that uh, 
the protesters would park on side streets and then attend the protest. Their parking on side streets were uh, illegal, so their bylaw enforcement was then um, deployed to the area. So a number of different tickets were uh, given out to the vehicles, as well as some were towed. Superintendent Dana Early says she had a plan and her officers were ready to go, but she was concerned a large police operation could make the situation worse in Ottawa, where the convoy protest was underway. Her commanders convinced her to focus on what was best for Windsor. Nearly half a billion dollars in additional federal money is being spent to deliver high-speed Internet to rural areas of Canada. Our goal is to connect every community in every province and territory to high-speed Internet. Ottawa says the money will help allow 60,000 more homes to have access. The funds are in addition to $2.75 billion already earmarked to connect 100% of Canadians by 2030. Not sure if you know about this, Toronto, but our city has a bit of a raccoon problem. Right. All kidding aside, officials say they're experiencing a rise in reports of erratic behavior involving some raccoons. Our Beth McDonnell explains what's going on. Been raccoons on the end, uh -huh. and I'm holding them. I'm chasing it. He's chasing me, and I'm doing this. At this point, I fell over, twisted up my feet. I got back up. Came up the stairs. He chased me right up the stairs. Sweeping leaves I Sunday afternoon time. turned chaotic for Joseph Romaine when suddenly he was face to face with a raccoon. This angry raccoon came shooting up from between the two garages and went for me. Almost 70. Romaine says he's never seen one behave like this before. I went in the house, closed the door. Raccoon stayed on the porch. He ran around in circles chasing his tail and squawking and screaming and hissing, and then he came down, he went up the street. Romaine's wife called 311. He says they were told someone would come by in two hours to deal with the animal, but no one showed up. Right now, the city of Toronto says it's receiving an influx of service requests because of a raccoon distemper outbreak, which typically happens every two to three years. Animal Services says the virus makes raccoons sick and not necessarily aggressive, but they can be aggressive if cornered. Data from the city shows the number of requests so far this year is already higher than last year, although lower than two years ago. What's more striking, the increased spike of requests over the spring continuing into this fall, from 801 in April to almost 2,600 in October. The city saying in a statement, our small and dedicated team works very hard to prioritize requests and respond in a timely manner. We thank residents for their patience and understanding during this very busy time. The next day, Chloe Putosh was getting ready to go for a walk with her baby and dog when a raccoon went to the front stairs of her house. The city says it hasn't received reports of raccoon attacks, but dogs can get distemper. And the raccoon actually followed us all along here and then stopped after a while because it was, was obviously really sick and couldn't move much further, I guess. Putosh says a team came in 20 minutes and it took two hours to get the raccoon. I was very shaken up and I fell over when he was chasing me and hurt my arm. You know, I'm okay, but the whole thing was very distressing. The city says it's waiting to confirm the details of Romaine's wife's call for service. But officials say typically they respond to cadaver calls within 48 hours. At the moment, the wait averages between 12 and 14 days. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. More Canadians than ever are living with cancer and longer. Still ahead, the new report highlighting the effects the disease is having on our population.
And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, we all know how expensive groceries have become. Now more consumers are turning to food rescue apps. Some stores are selling food that's nearing its best before date for half price. It's good for retailers, shoppers, and the environment. I'll have details. That's just ahead. Hurricane warnings are now in place for the Bahamas and Florida's east coast. This is ahead of tropical storm Nicole. It is currently forecast to make landfall as a Category 1 early Thursday morning before swinging north and eventually impacting Atlantic Canada as a post-tropical low this weekend. It's one we'll be monitoring and we'll show you how it could impact our forecast coming up. And stay with us. We have another great night of shows for you right here on CTV. Many families have had to cut back on groceries because of the rising cost of food, but there's an approach that could help you save money. More shoppers are trying food rescue apps. It's when a store heavily discounts items as they near their best before date. Pat Foran explains on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thank you, Michelle and Nathan. Every year, millions of tons of groceries have to be thrown out, which is a waste of food and money. But now grocers are using apps that can tell you which foods are nearing their best before date. Buying those products could save you 50% on your grocery bill. Flash food is now available in 720 Loblaws stores and franchises across the country. Shoppers use the Flash food app on their phone to see what food has been discounted. They pay for the items and then pick them up in the Flash food zone of their participating store. Loblaws has diverted 40 million pounds of food from landfill sites and Canadians have saved $110 million on their groceries. Our average shopper saving over $500 a year and some of our top shoppers are saving tens of thousands of dollars. When you check the app, you never know what food you might find on sale. Chicken breast dated November 10th, it's $22.31, so folks are going to pay $11. And this would be 50% off. There's a couple of other pies too, you've got cherry pie. So you can either get one or both, and then again, like this can go in the freezer. You can also get produce that's nearing the end of its shelf life. This is a box of fruits and vegetables. You can buy it for $5, and it weighs about 20 pounds. It's been really helpful in providing you know, healthy uh, meals for our family. Amy Moyer of Scarborough says as long as the item is something you can freeze, the best before date doesn't matter as much. It's allowed her family to try new foods as well as save money. According to the app, we have saved, I believe, just over $3,600, uh, which has obviously really helped us. Food rescuing apps are becoming more and more popular. Sylvain Charlebois says Flash Food, Food Hero and Too Good to Go are all food rescue apps that can help prevent waste. For people with less means, uh, people on a very tight budget, Food rescuing is probably the best way to save money right now. As food prices rise, more Canadians may start using food rescue apps, which benefit the consumer, the retailer, and the planet. And the food rescue apps can be downloaded for free, and you can start searching for deals near you. The items on sale will be different from store to store, and many shoppers do check several times a day, so popular items often go fast. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. So not only is it darker, but you can definitely feel the chill in the air this week. Although the, there, there's quite a bit of variety in the forecast where there's some beautiful days ahead and then 
you know, maybe some flurries. Yeah, it just seems to be a bit of a surprise each day on what to expect. It just certainly feels like that sometimes. This weekend, we're going to get a taste of what's to come in the weeks and months ahead. But ahead of that, we have another warm-up we can look forward to. That's in the short-range forecast. But, yeah, we've got flurries possibly for some areas this weekend as the lake effect snow machine known as the Great Lakes fires up. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Just before we get to your forecast, quite a sight this morning for early risers in the city. The so-called blood moon eclipse began at around 3 a.m. and the moon was totally obscured by the Earth's shadow about two hours later. Sky watchers uh, line Polson Pier this morning looking for that perfect shot. It took about 90 minutes for the shadow of the Earth to pass across the moon and the eclipse ended just as the sun was rising. We won't see another total lunar eclipse for about three years and fortunately for this time the sky was clear here in the GTA for the show. Before we talk about the GTA I just want to point out the fact that while while it feels cool today in southern Ontario, and it is, relatively speaking, look at what our friends in western Canada are dealing with. Yeah, that's minus 17 currently this hour in Edmonton. Today in Toronto, we made it to 9 degrees, one of our cooler days uh, recently. Uh, about 10 degrees cooler than the record high, which was about 19, so we didn't have to worry about breaking any records today. Tonight, we dropped to about 1 degree, so still above freezing. We haven't been below freezing yet in the city of Toronto, expecting that to change this weekend. Minus 7 degrees for the low in Bancroft, minus 3 in Peterborough. All these temperatures are a little more typical for this time of year. 11 is what we're forecasting in Toronto for tomorrow. The average temperature this time of year is eight. We will enjoy sunshine. All is clear on the satellite and radar for now. We have a low pressure system to our northwest. That is eventually going to be a weather maker for us. We're also monitoring the path of tropical storm Nicole, and I'll show you how that could impact us too. First, tomorrow, a mainly sunny day. Thursday, we could see a little more in the way of fair weather cloud cover. Then the clouds really start to roll in for Friday, Remembrance Day. It looks to remain dry during during the daytime hours, but look what comes at night. So that is the leading edge uh, ahead of what will be at that point post-tropical storm. Nicole, here's the seven-day forecast. Mild for Thursday and Friday, 16 and 17 degrees. But look at the weekend. Eight for Saturday, only two on Sunday, with a chance of a few flurries thanks to those overnight lows. That's your look at the weather for now. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, cancer in Canada. What a new special report reveals about the prevalence of cancer in this country and the chances of survival after a diagnosis. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. A new study tonight shedding light on Canadians and cancer. Data suggests diagnoses are on the rise in this country, but we are also living longer with it. Researchers with the Canadian Cancer Society say more than 1.5 million people are living with the disease. That is up from 1 million a decade ago. Researchers say the increase is largely due to the country's aging population. Breast, prostate and colorectal cancer account for nearly half of the diagnoses. There are also, there are also cancers the largest number of people in Canada have recovered from or are living with, meaning they are discovered more frequently and have better long-term outcomes. 
While the study suggests there have been improvements to treatments over the years, there is concern. Some of the medical profession are worried about the long-term effects this will have on our health care system. Health reporter Pauline Chan explains. Nadia Headley is one of the more than 1.5 million Canadians living with or beyond cancer. She was diagnosed in 2018 with advanced breast cancer, underwent surgery, chemotherapy, hormone therapy, and is now in the final stages of breast reconstruction, which was delayed for many months during the pandemic lockdowns. I've become a lot less fearful after cancer. Speaking from Barbados, where she's visiting family for the first time since the pandemic, she says cancer has taught her to enjoy life to the fullest. But even after her treatment, challenges remain and she relies on the health care system. Because my lymph nodes were removed, I now wear a brace for lymphedema. Even after a patient is declared cancer-free, swelling, scarring, mental health issues and more must still be dealt with, adding to the costs and strain we're seeing in our health care system. Some people, we see it as numbers, but really it's about people. Researcher Jennifer Gillis says the 1.5 million figure reflects a higher incidence of cancer with a growing and aging population. But we have seen significant improvements, for, uh, improvements in survival for many different cancer types, which is also contributing. I'm the only third generation thoracic surgeon in the world that I know of. And so I have my grandfather's notes from the 1940s. Thoracic surgeon Dr. Christian Finley has a unique historical perspective on the latest survival figures, saying while treatments for most cancers have been improving, those for liver, esophageal and lung cancers have remained a challenge. But he believes change is coming. There is lung cancer screening, you know, better surgery, better radiation or, or newer drugs. Lung cancer and we're just opening the door to a new chapter for lung cancer. Gillis, too, expects to see even better survival figures in future studies. But we want to also make sure that those research investments help prevent cancer before it starts. There are lots of gaps that we need to consider. And Headley says special attention needs to be paid to rural patients, those of colour, or new immigrants like herself who don't have the family support to see them through their cancer journey. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Top honors have been handed out in Toronto to the country's best authors. This year's Scotiabank Giller Prize winner is Suzette Meyer. Her book is called The Sleeping Carporter. CTV's Andrea Casey is now to talk about the book and also what makes it so special. Andrea. Nathan and Michelle, so happy to see you. Those smiles. The Sleeping Carporter is a story Suzette Meyer could not find. So she wrote it herself as a queer woman of African descent. Uh, she wrote the story which pays homage to her past. Only it took her almost two decades to do it. In 2019, during Canada History Week, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters was recognized. My name's not George. And earlier this year, a TV series called The Porter debuted. But the story of the protagonist in the novel The Sleeping Car Porter, written by Suzette Mayer, goes one step further. It's the perspective of Baxter, a closeted gay black man working as a Canadian train porter in 1929, living in a culture that renders him invisible in two ways. Meyer is a queer woman. She said she wanted this book to call attention to the lost history of LGBTQ2S plus people and their contributions to history. And a final shout out to my LGBTQIA2S plus sisters, brothers and siblings, many of whom, like my main character Baxter, are still too scared to come out or cannot come out because to do so would be too dangerous. 
I see you, I love you, and this book is for you. And the longest, it took 19 years. I've written five books before. I've never had this kind of attention, so it was thrilling. It was unbelievably thrilling, but it was, I, I got tired towards the end, I, I, I have to confess. Hours after winning the $100,000 Giller Prize, she recalled today, the win left her stunned. When my name was called, suddenly I didn't know the alphabet. I didn't realize they had actually called my name. It wasn't until they actually said the title of the book that I thought, oh, okay, that's me. So it was just a totally out-of-body experience. After some recognition over her career, this win is different. It's helping me with my imposter syndrome, and I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not kidding. I feel like a real writer, finally. Mm -hmm. Mayor is a real writer. She says she won't quit her day job, which includes teaching creative writing at the University of Calgary. She's actually on a plane right now heading home. And the late Jack Rabinovich named the prize in the honor of his late wife, Doris. And he famously said you could buy all five shortlisted books for the price of dinner out for two. Reporting live, I'm Andrea Case. Michelle, I'll send it back to you. Thank you, Andrea. Drake is being sued. The Toronto rapper and 21 Savage are named in a lawsuit by the publisher of Vogue magazine. Major distribution labels call me bad bunny numbers. It's a robbery. 500 million just for Aubrey. It's alleged the Vogue name was used without permission to promote their new album, Her Loss. The suit filed in Manhattan Federal Court claims the promotional campaign was built around the use of Vogue trademarks. The publisher is seeking at least $4 million or triple the profits from the album. 23-time champion from Jeopardy, Matea Roach, is returning to the show tonight. How much did you wager? Could have been anything, $5,000 for a total today of $26,400. The Toronto resident is taking part in the Tournament of Champions. Roach will go head-to-head -head with two other super champions in an exhibition showdown. The Halifax native had the fifth longest winning streak in Jeopardy! history. She took home more than $560,000. A spin-off of Canada's Drag Race is getting the series underway with a very special guest. Please help me welcome the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau! <laughs> this one is about to go down in history. The Prime Minister is making an appearance on Canada's Drag Race, Canada versus the World. Nine international drag queens are invited to vie for the crown as Canada serves as host country. Episodes begin streaming on Crave starting November 18th. CTV News and Crave are owned by Bell Media. He's a big Hollywood star, but Ryan Reynolds has never forgotten his Canadian roots. and That includes a passion for hockey. So there's a rumor going on that you may be interested in buying uh, a... Uh, NHL professional hockey team, the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators? Yes, that it's is a Canadian true. team. Yeah, that is a, an NHL team, the Ottawa Senators. I am trying to, to do that. It's a very expensive. So, you know, I need a partner with, you know, really deep pockets. The current owners have made it clear the Senators will only be sold if the buyer agrees to keep it in the nation's capital. Forbes magazine currently values the team at $525 million U.S., Reynolds, a Vancouver native, also lived in Ottawa's East End. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. As we have seen over the course of the past several years, uh, this virus has thrown some curveballs our way and we have to be prepared to respond in accordance with that.
Updating our top stories, a rise in respiratory illnesses, including COVID-19, particularly among children. Has the city considering whether to bring back a mask mandate in schools? A Toronto Public Health board member has asked the city's top doctor to look into the issue. We're back at the table with an improved offer, particularly for the lower income workers. The province says it's back at the table with an improved offer a day after promising to rescind legislation which took away education workers' rights to strike. Wages have been the major sticking point in the negotiations, with education workers asking for a significant raise to keep up with the rising cost of living. Our average shop is saving over $500 a year, and some of our top shoppers are saving tens of thousands of dollars. Shoppers are turning to food rescue apps to help them deal with increased grocery costs. These apps let shoppers know which items have been discounted as they near their best before date. Those behind the apps say they also help keep food that's still good from being thrown away. Remember to follow us on social media and keep up to date day and night through our website, ctvnewstoronto.ca. And if you have a new tip, photos or video of breaking news, let us know. A single Powerball ticket is now worth more than $2 billion U.S. The winner has not come forward yet, but we do know who sold that lucky ticket. I come to this country, the continent, for a dream for the people looking for a better life. I come 1980 with $14,000 and two kids and a wife. I work all my life. I work 20 hours sometimes. I work seven days a week. Joe Chahayed owns Joe's Service Center in Altadena, California. The Syrian immigrant picked up a $1 million bonus today for selling the big ticket. On the markets, the Canadian dollar gained 35 points to 74.45 U.S. Oil dropped 288 a barrel to 88.91. And the TSS climbed 114 points to close at 19,660. The Leafs getting in a morning skate before their home tilt with Vegas tonight. Toronto is on a three-game win spurt after beating Carolina 3-1 Sunday. The Golden Knights are tops in the West and on a seven-game streak of their own. Puck drops at seven at Scotiabank Arena. The PGA Tour Canada is returning to the nation's capital next year. The Commissioner's Ottawa Open will be held at Eagle Creek Golf Club in mid-July as part of the Fortuné Cup. It's the first time Ottawa will host the PGA Tour event since 2017. Some of the proceeds will go to the charity Soldiers On, which helps members of the Canadian Armed Forces. An online campaign helping to feed some of the city's most vulnerable. Still ahead, the efforts of one local woman and how she's helping to fill an immense need. Tonight from the U.S. Capitol as America votes. I'm happy that I am able to do this and I hope only for the best. The results and the reaction as the midterm election outcome rolls in. Later on CTV National News from Washington. The CTV News at 6 podcast is available as a download every weeknight. And you can also listen to this show live on News Talk 1010. Get Toronto's top stories, breaking news alerts, and watch live. Download the CTV News app. Finally tonight, proof of the good in our world. A local woman who received generous donations during a difficult time opting to pass it on. CTV John Musselman reports on an online initiative making a real difference to those in need. Holly Pollard says the whole idea here is based on a simple premise. Everyone can help everyone else. 
if you have a little bit extra, share. Pollard is a big supporter of a social media mutual aid system set up by Brenda Potter of Niagara Falls. If someone in need makes a request or a direct message or a tweet, organizers match them with a donor. It's fundraising using social media to help those in need. At the food bank, food banks are a wonderful resource, but often they have quotas. You can go once a month or once every three weeks, all depending on location. And this is a stopgap. The site is growing with donors and families in need right across the country. Potter volunteers all of her time on this site. She was not available for an on-camera interview today, but she says we cannot turn a blind eye to people living in poverty. Quote, I make sure I vet and I only fundraise for emergencies. Groceries are on an honor system. If some are at risk of eviction, I need to see the eviction notice. And once I secure donations for them, I need to see proof of payment to the landlord. This is the same for bills in disconnection. Donors' money must be respected. Pollard says the help she received got her through some tough times. I got sick last year myself and um, took a three-month leave of absence from work. And I was working a minimum wage paying job at the time. I was super struggling. And I reached out for help for mutual aid last year. And I received help. Thankfully, my health is getting better and I'm in a better position. So I'm actually now able to give. To learn more about this mutual aid site, you can find the Twitter handle thread at Brenda Potter with two R's on the end. John Musselman, CTV News. Right, one last look at the forecast. What can we expect tonight? Well, tonight it's going to be a clear, uh, seasonably cool night for us. We're forecasting an overnight low of one degree. The norm this time of year is about two. But with those clear skies and calm winds, we also have a slight risk of frost. So just a heads up on that. No advisories in place. Waking up tomorrow morning, yeah, a little bit chilly. But we have another day of sun to look forward to. In fact, we're in a sunny stretch that's going to last two more days. Then the active weather is going to arrive for Friday. It's sort of a late day event. First, we'll get the cloud cover, then the rain showers uh, for your Friday night into Saturday, a mostly cloudy day. We are forecasting potential flurries starting Saturday night because it's going to be cool. Maybe a few flurries into the day on Sunday as well. Wet flurries by the middle part of next week. Maybe you see where I'm going here. A little bit of a pattern change. So enjoy the mild temperatures for Thursday and Friday, Nathan and Michelle. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thanks for watching and have a good night.